Hello, and welcome to episode 209 of Retro Encounter. We're here today to talk about Grandia. Uh, and joining me today is Hilary Andrew. Hi, good to be here. Uh, and uh, we're going to talk about the uh, first half of Grandia a little bit today and kind of talk about some of our initial impressions and some of our thoughts on um, sort of how it still holds up 20 years later. Uh, but first, um, how did you uh, how did you play Grandia this time, Hillary? Um, I actually broke out the original. Oh, wow. Because um, I thought it might be kind of fun to compare and contrast. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, yep, um, PlayStation 1. And it, it still like ran well on your PlayStation 1? Um, well, I actually have an early version PlayStation 3 oh, that I was okay. able to use. And it still runs? That's amazing. Yeah, <laughs> I thought those were all bricked by now. Yeah, no. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, yeah, I mean, I played I played the port. Uh, it's one of the reasons why I think that uh, we're recording this episode now. And it, the port was sort of a mixed bag. I, I played it for review, actually, um, and some of the graphics uh, were a little bit washed out at times. And uh, but the music was a lot better. Um, but really, uh, you know, it, it's exactly the same game as the PS1 game, um, outside of uh, the graphics being spruced up, depending on how you think about it. Uh, most people, I don't think, are super positive on the graphics. I didn't mind them too much, uh, but for me, I thought they were they were perfectly fine. Um, and it was kind of nice to be able to play it on the go as well. Yeah, I would imagine so. <sighs> Grandia sort of feels like a game where it would be nice to have it handheld just to be able to get that magic up or you know yeah. run through a dungeon <laughs> one one more time quickly because some of them are actually kind of short yeah uh, mercifully short <laughs> we'll talk about the dungeon design later but i'm guessing yep. that you probably like it about as little as i do um but yeah i mean <laughs> uh it's the, the the grind is so addicting in this game uh you know just sort of getting those skills up so frequently and so easily um that yeah being able to play it on the go and just pull it out for 15 minutes just go move from a safe point and grind up for 15 minutes uh was really useful and really fun um and i think that uh, this game is such a sort of breezy fun experience anyway that it almost it feels really at home on handheld because it doesn't have sort of like that dark tone that um, a lot of games of the era did i remember actively thinking that most of the time i was playing like i, I bet this would be good on handheld and that's a big plus in the ports column yeah yeah i mean that that might be one of the only pluses in the ports column but it worked out, <laughs> it worked out okay i mean the, the music was uh really was a lot better here because i think that the playstation one had um some kind of lowered sound quality from the saturn version if i'm not mistaken um i think absolutely right <laughs> yeah um so it sounded great even in handheld it sounded amazing um but yeah so um before we sort of start talking about grandia proper here um let's talk a little bit about our experience with uh grandia and sort of how we got started with it and how we originally played it so uh hillary how did you uh originally experience grandia i didn't get too far actually in about the same time frame you were talking about earlier so like early 2000s ish and then i have a friend in colorado who it's it's one of their favorite games so Mm -hmm. we played it a little bit together about a little before the end of disc one maybe okay i guess it doesn't really count as two playthroughs but (laughs) multiple experiences with it yeah and go ahead that that second time was on the saturn oh wow you played the saturn version i did that's amazing um that's really cool um (laughs) that's why we did it we were like let's let's try the saturn (laughs) i mean does it does it look a lot better on the saturn version it's a noticeable difference. Okay. Yeah, I think, I like, think. I've seen uh, images online about, like, the water effects in particular being a mm-hmm. lot different yep. uh, in the Saturn. Yep. Um, and so that's always maybe one experience. It. And I, I heard with the port they were using assets from the PS1 version and the Saturn version. But the graphics look so, um, I don't know, um, 
shaded in, I guess is the way to say it, that I couldn't really tell how many of the assets they were pulling from each version. That was one, yeah. Yeah. Um, have you uh, played any other Grandia games? Yes, Grandia 2. Okay. Uh, which one do you prefer at this point? I'm curious. Oh, geez. I like them both for different reasons. I think it depends yeah. what kind of mood I'm in. Yeah, absolutely. Um <laughs> It's funny because uh, my experience is uh, sort of similar to yours. I mean, I, I um, except for I didn't play the Saturn version. Um, I played Grandia pretty much when it came out. Uh, it came out in 2000 in the United States for the PlayStation. Uh, and um, I remember it, it taking me months to get through because it was sort of in that PlayStation 1 era of all the uh, dark you know, heroes. And I was in high school and I was 14 and I was very yeah. angry. I'm playing it. I'm like, Justin's too happy. This, ugh, this is the worst. <laughs> By the time I got to the end, I was like, oh, okay, there, here's, some, here's some story. And I kind of liked when it took like a darker turn, which we'll talk about in the next podcast. But, yes. um, you know, coming back to it this time, um, it was really refreshing. It was almost like um, it was almost had a little bit of a spirit of Miyazaki to me in terms of it just being about uh, adventure and innocence. Um, and uh, I liked it a lot. And it's funny because I played uh, both of these games, both Grandia 1 and Grandia 2 for review. And when I was younger, Grandia 2 was one of my favorite games. I thought it was my favorite RPG. And this time I'm like, oh, gosh, you guys are just complaining way too much. And Grandia, on the other hand, was so refreshing. So it, for me, um, <laughs> it was uh, the, the combat system was amazing, you know, back then and now. But for me, I really preferred the uh, sort of the tone of it this time. So, yeah. Interesting. So that's a little bit of a change. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that as I've gotten a little bit softer as I've gotten older, thankfully for everyone, <laughs> uh, maybe a little less angry. Um, but yeah, um, so I, I think that the, I, before we start talking about uh, the game in general, I think the development history is sort of interesting because RPG Fan actually has a little bit to do with um, Grandia coming over here to begin with. Um, yes, definitely yeah, talking about that. Which is really cool. Um, so, and I didn't know about this. I had sort of, I sort of heard some rumblings about it. But um, so for those of you who don't know, um, Grandia was originally released in Japan for the Sega Saturn in 1997. And at the time, uh, Game Arts, uh, the developers, also the developers behind Lunar, um, had said that they weren't going to port it over here. And so LunarNet, which was um, our name before we became RPG fan back uh, over 20 years ago, uh, created a fan petition. And if you, you can go look at Wikipedia, and it's on there, uh, a fan petition for them to bring it over here. And so uh, once uh, that petition came out and then they ported it to the PlayStation 1, um, you know, then eventually Grandia came over here and that was sort of toward the beginnings of our site. And that was one of the first like sort of big things that our site did. So I think that's a cool connection to have uh, to the series. For sure. It's also kind of a nice reminder and a nice look back, um, just contrasting then and now in terms of what we do get over here and what yeah. we don't get. It's kind of nice to see the beginnings of a trend of uh, the West kind of demanding more. Right. I mean, the interest increasing. Yeah, back then there were so many games that we wanted to come over here, and now there are games that no one's asking for, like Moon, <laughs> uh, that are coming over. Now Mother 3, still waiting on that. Yes. Um, but other than that, I mean, like I feel like every, almost everything comes over here nowadays, and that's a really nice change of pace. Yeah. Um, yeah. So um, I guess uh, let's talk a little bit about the, um, I don't know, the, the beginning of the, the story and sort of our initial impressions and um, some of the things that we were thinking toward the beginning of the story. So uh, what did you think of the beginning of Grandia? Um, so one of the things I'll start out by saying is I like Parm a lot. <laughs> I'm glad you um, do, because I'm not sure that it, I do. <laughs> I don't know. I think it's, it's, and I don't know if it's mostly nostalgia, but it's it's up there in, in my favorite RPG starting towns. And I think a lot of it has to do with 
the NPCs being so chatty and yeah. some fun conversations. And, you know, Justin's obviously kind of an integral part of this community. And I just really like that. Yeah. And, and I think that the way it opens uh, with, uh, and I, I guess I should back up for a moment here and sort of explain oh, what yeah. the premise of Grandia is. <laughs> uh, that's, that's my mistake. Um, so uh, Grandia uh, takes place um, in sort of this fantasy world. I'm not sure if we're ever given a name for the world at large, uh, but it follows a kid named Justin who just sort of is uh, living in this small town called Parm, as, as Hillary was just talking about, uh, with his mom and his friend Sue. And his, and his father was an adventurer and his grandfather was an adventurer. And uh, he wants to be an adventurer, too. And so he, um, you know, has this stone that he inherited from his father. And he, you know, sort of wants to find out what's going on with it. So he takes it to a local archaeologist. And the archaeologist says, hey. Yeah, <laughs> yes, it is a museum. Yeah. Um, and so he says, I don't know what's going on with this stone. Um, and then he takes it to a local ruins because this uh, historian tells him to go over and take a look at it. And yep. the, the curator's like, why don't you find out? Go to the ruins and see what happens. Yeah. Um, and then when he goes to the ruins, um, uh, he runs into uh, this army uh, who says they're excavating the ruins for uh, philanthropic reasons. We'll discover later that that's not true. Um, but then he meets a character named Liette, who tells him that he needs to go on an adventure to uh, find Alent, uh, which is sort of like this magical world that... Um, he sort of goes on for the rest of the story. And that's sort of the way the story goes. Um, yep. In the first part, oh. there isn't a lot of major plot. Um, no, but and, there's a little bit more background, if you yeah. don't mind. Back oh, in go ahead. Of course, more. yeah, go ahead. So something that's cool and, and the reason that there's a museum and all this stuff is because the world, at least Justin's part of the world in Grandia, is really heavily influenced and heavily interested in this previous culture called the, the Angelou that, that were there and have left all these ruins. Nobody quite knows why they've left or what happened. Um, and that's kind of Justin's big question he wants to find out with the stone. And mm -hmm. that's kind of what he wants, like the focus of his big adventure to be. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I like it as a plot device early on because uh, he doesn't really discover much about that until maybe the last third of the game um, right. but it, it gives him an excuse to sort of set off and just go you know help people um, that's really what the first half of the game is he's just helping people um, he has a couple of run-ins with this mm -hmm. army but um, I love that it, it, it the the innocence of it, it is really uh, charming and the characters are so charming um, that uh, it, it really worked for me I like I kind of like how they introduce him and Sue uh, she is an orphan. She's living with an aunt and uncle right next to Justin and Justin's mom, yeah. if I'm mistaken. Um, and she's his best buddy. They're always together. And the game starts with them um, finding some like magical artifacts that some rival kids have placed around the town, which I think is so cool. It's like a fake adventure before you uh -huh. go on a real one. <laughs> yeah, and, and it's like a fun template for the rest of the game. Like, sort of the rest yeah. of the game is sort of like that. You're just like sort of just like discovering items and just like doing things sort of for the fun of it. Like, it, it doesn't like the end of the world plot doesn't start until much later. Um, right. And that uh, innocence and that charm of that opening, I think, really plays into sort mm. of a template for the rest of the game. Yeah. Um, so I guess we could talk a little bit about uh, Justin and Sue. Um, I really like Justin. Um, I think he's a great protagonist um he, he uh you know he has great leadership qualities he's so enthusiastic all the time um he's just so charming and i, I can totally buy him as being someone who 
people would want to follow even to go do yeah. this sort of silly uh, adventure. Um, yeah, and uh, he's also, I, if you build him right, totally broken in combat um, <laughs> and amazing by the end of the game. If you There's like one skill you can use after the halfway point that if you just spam it over and over again, it builds up his levels so quickly um, that, yeah, he becomes sort of a powerhouse by the end of this game. But uh, he is, uh, I think, really charming. And Sue... I actually don't find as annoying as I thought I would. Um, she's sort of the kind of character who would normally really bother me. She's just like always on top of Justin and like always like, oh, you know, I, I just want to be here. I want to go along with you. Um, but she's really sweet um, and um, not all that useful in combat. But, um, you know, she's really uh, a pretty fun character, really loyal to Justin in ways that I think we'll talk about toward the end um, yeah. are surprising. Yeah. They're a good combination for the first half of the game because Justin is this great combination of super enthusiastic, but also makes mistakes, is a little bit of a troublemaker, which just kind of, yeah, I think you're right. I think it it makes him kind of endearing and kind of, I think, points towards some of those leadership qualities because he'll, you know, admit his mistakes and keep going and... Mm-hmm. Sue, she kind of keeps him in check at several points, which is funny. Like, she's she's definitely kind of a, like, I'm going to go along with your word team. But at the same time, like, she'll call him out on things occasionally, which is great. Yeah, and he, he even tries to leave her behind. And I'm glad. And one of the things I like about this game is the way that it treats its female characters in general. I mean, there are some issues with it um, in terms of, like, you know... Uh, Fina having to be saved a lot later on, but for the most part, I feel like the female characters in this game are really strong and sort of have their own individual personalities outside of it. And I think Sue is a really good example of that, that she's the one yeah. who's sort of like pushing him along. Um, and Justin's mom, who we haven't talked about yet, but we should, um, who is amazing too, um, and really tough, but also... Um, really kind to Justin at the same time and understands what it is he wants to do because uh, when he's trying to leave, um, you can tell that she knows that he wants to leave to go on an adventure. Um, and, you know, she's um, really caring and loving, but also sort of tough in her own way. Um, yeah. So she's really great too. She, I, I insisted, like I noticed that she was uh, missing from our list of RPG moms and I, I could not let that Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, she's one of the best RPG moms and she's and she makes such an impression because you only ever see yeah. her in that first town of Parm. Um but she makes such an impression over like the, the whole rest of the game because she's so distinctive. Yeah. So I think she's great. She's definitely one of those moms that like knows what her kid needs mm-hmm. for sure. And she, cause she'll definitely like punish him when he needs it, but also she is at the same time caring and oh my gosh we'll get to this later but the letter that she gives him at oh, one yeah. point it's so beautiful because um, <laughs> there's an option to not open that letter isn't there um and I, I can't imagine not having read that letter i'm not i don't remember if you're if you are able to choose an option not to open it or not but like it's like it's such a an emotionally powerful moment in this game that i would be sad not to do it <laughs> yeah, i tried i tried in the ps1 version to not open it but then it wouldn't let me oh. get past the the choice well it went back to open it yeah so i i after trying a couple times to not open it i opened it <laughs> you're you're trying to be respectful of your mom <laughs> yeah. and her wishes do not open this until later I, I don't want to don't make me um yeah um so 
I, the thing about Grandia that I think sort of uh, defines it for a lot of people, and I, that was sort of certainly my impression here, was the combat. Uh, which I, before we kind of go into the maybe the rest of the story, I think it might be smart to talk about just how awesome the combat is. Um, and so the way the combat works is there's uh, two different bars. Uh, one uh, that sort of has the actions for your uh, party members and your characters, and then um, also for the enemy. And there are various ways that you can sort of speed up and slow down uh, the two bars in terms of when enemies get to take actions and when you get to take actions. Um, and, you know, and the game does a nice job early on of um, sort of giving you training wheels with it. Um, there, there aren't a ton of skills that you have to use to manipulate that bar to be able to be successful until we get to that squid. We'll talk about that squid. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh my um, but, um, yeah, I, I think that it is uh, really cool in its simplicity, um, but also um, really surprisingly deep, and it keeps uh, everything sort of fast-moving and fun. Yeah, you can breeze through it, but you can also really tweak it. Yeah, and the, and the other thing that's sort of related to that is the skills progression, which I think is also pretty cool in this game. Um, so basically the way it works in this game is the more you use a particular type of magic or a particular type of weapon, um, the more you're likely to level that up. And you can level your weapons up and level your magic up. And the more you level those things up, the more powerful they become. But it also impacts your stats as well. So like if you level up your axe, it causes your strength to go up two points, for example. And uh, if you level up your magic and your skills, then you uh, unlock new skills. And then when you use those skills, you're able to sort of continue to build points up. And it makes yep, grinding combined. in this game really addicting, too. Yeah, and um, combining different types of magic does different things. Yeah, um, and I, I really thought that it was a, a super effective system. And I haven't played a grinding game in almost 20 years. And as I'm playing it, I'm like, this, this feels so modern still. It feels really fresh. Yeah, um, I'm surprised. Yeah, I mean, it, there are certainly parts of this game that don't feel fresh to me, and we'll talk about that, but um, I, I think that the combat is the one thing that absolutely 100% felt great um, all yeah. the way throughout, um, and it played fair, too. Um, and they, they make some fun tweaks to it in Grandia 2, and this isn't a Grandia 2 podcast, but um, <laughs> to sort of change, um, you know, how much canceling is important, but canceling enemy attacks is really important here as well. Yep. The one thing I didn't like, though, was the mana eggs. Um, which yeah. uh, the only way you can unlock different elemental spells is by um, finding a mana egg, and then you go to a shop, and then you can unlock. Uh, now you have the ac access to wind spells, or you have access to fire spells, or you have access to water spells. Um, and the thing is, and this gets into the dungeon design, which we'll talk about more later, um, like it's really hard to find things sometimes in this game. And I always felt like if I was missing out on finding a mana egg, that I wasn't going to have all the skills available to me or all the spells available to me. Um, and it was really frustrating. And the other th frustrating part is if you lose a character, um, you know, if you've put a lot of mana eggs into them, uh, then it almost feels like a waste. Mm -hmm. You can get some experience from them, um, but it's not, it's only a third of their experience. And so I, I wish the game had done a better job of sort of telling you about that. It would have been nice to have a little bit more warning. I mean, and it's funny because I thought about that exactly at the time when, I, when you were first able to use mana eggs and got access to them because I kind of had an idea, you know, who might be leaving. And so it became this, this stressful question of, okay, then what do I do with them? Right. Yeah. I mean, I was, I knew um, that one of the characters was going to leave early on because I remembered from my first playthrough, but then I didn't put any mana eggs into her and you have her for the whole first half of the game. And then yeah. she, she was just useless in battle for me because of that, because she's not very strong. She's not very strong in battle. So yeah, I thought that was a little bit frustrating personally. It was. I used one. Um, when we'll, when we talk about it later on, I'll, I'll talk about it more. I'm glad I did just for no other reason than some of the cute 
watching them cast some of the some of the skills were fun. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, I like the spell animations in this game, too. They're not too yeah. long or lengthy. Again, another problem that a lot of PS1 games had was lengthy spell and summon animations. Um, and I oh, think yeah. that they're but pretty they, snappy here. Yeah, but they found a way to individualize them. Like, the characters mm-hmm. do very different things. Yeah, and they all have their own individualized dialogue, too. Um, mm-hmm. Which, um, you know, again. Um, but yeah, um, so in speaking of frustration, and again, again, we'll talk about this a little bit more later, but I think that um, you, you said you like Parm. And I didn't like Parm. And the reason for that is because I got lost in Parm over and over and over <laughs> okay, and over fair. again. Um, I mean, I could not find I, – I, I just I, – they were told me, like, go to some person's house. I'm like, where, where, where is this person's house? I can't find it. And there's, like, this bridge in the middle of town. Good and job. can I cross it? Can I not cross it? Um, and there's no mini-maps in this game. Um, and it's a little bit annoying in Parm, but it's way more annoying in dungeons because, oh, my goodness, the dungeon design in this game. <laughs> it is so frustrating for me. Because, like, they have, like, these little spots where you can sort of see an overview of the dungeon, but it's usually not all that yeah. helpful. Um, I'm like, are you teasing me? Like, are you playing around with me? Are you trying to show me that this is uh, this is how it's set up? But I didn't help me. The very fact that you need to include those lookout points maybe indicates you know, want to rethink how you can see around and, like, navigate the dungeons. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I mean, even the Salt Ruins, which is the very first dungeon you go through in this game, um, I, I, I'm finding myself, like, falling falling down, um, like, bridges. And there are, a lot of, like, a lot of traps yep. in the dungeons here, too. Um, to, like, it seems yeah. like it is designed to frustrate you. Um, and I'm, I, I, it, if it had a mini-map, it would have been okay. And, they, and, and in, in fairness to, to game arts and the designers, they gave you an arrow, to, like, sort of on a compass to show you where to walk. But it's really not that helpful yes. because you don't know how to get to that spot you're walking to a lot of the time. It actually was helpful when I got turned around sometimes. Like, did I just walk into this screen or out of the screen? That was the only time it really was useful for me. But other than that, it did not do yep. much for me. Agreed. Oh, boy. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, um, I felt like actually the dungeon design got better as it went. Or maybe I just got more used to it. I don't know. Did you feel that way? I was asking myself that same question. I am kind of leaning toward I got a little more used to it. Uh, at least I was expecting those traps a little bit more by the time we got to, you know, like the misty forest and the end of the world. Yeah, because the end of the world is is just, and again, this, we're getting a little ahead of ourselves, but it, it's just this sort of walking up this wall. And even there, I found a way to get turned around with some regularity. <laughs> like I'm literally just walking up steps for screen after screen after screen, and I still can't figure out where I'm going. And I couldn't tell if I was just being impatient because I was playing it for review and I needed to get it done or what, but it drove me a little crazy. Yeah, I definitely had those points in the dungeons. Yeah. Where I was like, okay, I've been wandering for too long. It, it helped in terms of character leveling, though. Yeah. You get lost so often that you never really have to grind. Um, and and that's another thing about the, the way the dungeons are designed in this game and the way that enemy encounters work is that it, you can see the enemies on the screen. So it's it's modern in that way. Not not a lot of games were doing that back then. Um, a couple of SNES games did, like Lufia 2 and Chrono Trigger, but um, you know not a lot of PlayStation games were doing it yet. And so it seems cool. Like, oh, I can, I can see enemies and I can avoid them, but they're all much faster than you. They're everywhere. Yep. And they jump out at you all the time. Right. So I found myself getting ambushed even when I thought I knew where the enemy was. Um, right. And I was it all depends on the... Sorry. It, and it all depends on the camera, too. There were a few times where just because of the way I had the camera, there was no possible way to see an enemy and they ambushed me. 
Yeah, uh, and I think I think that might have again been on purpose, uh, but it sort of defeat it sort of defeats the purpose of what I thought they were trying to do, which was allow you to avoid encounters. But it actually, I felt like I yeah. had more fights than I do in a lot of I don't know Super Nintendo games that have random encounters. It was just like constant, um, and it was okay because the combat's awesome. But eventually, it's like okay really want to get through here um, and I try to run away from an enemy and they, they catch up to me and like every time I'm like oh my gosh um, so it drove me a little crazy but um, so the whole all the dungeon design stuff here didn't really work for me in terms of and the gear you get there is sometimes like really really good but it's really hard to find too because I just couldn't figure out where I was going a lot of the time I actually found most of the good gear when I got lost and the mana eggs when I got lost uh, exploration. Yeah. yeah, maybe maybe I'm just old. I don't know. I just don't have the patience for it anymore. I'm not sure. I think this might be a good a good time to bring up the the trend of you know becoming a, a slightly busier adult with responsibilities and maybe wanting to be able to explore and get lost and find stuff, but not really having the patience for yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. I I think that I don't remember having even that impression at all when i played it as a kid i just remember thinking i don't remember thinking anything of the dungeons it was just like oh they're dungeons um, but now i go back to it and i've been you know I, so many ports this year that i've been playing a lot of older games and even compared to other older playstation one games or super nintendo games the dungeons are so so <laughs> complicated so yeah i mean i think those are some of the basics of the game in general so i guess we can get kind of get into talking about the plot a little bit here so um like you said we uh we open um, in Parm, um, and we sort of talked a, a, few, a little bit about those story beats. But one thing I think we forgot to mention, that when we get the Spirit Stone, and then we go off to the Salt Ruins, uh, we meet um, sort of all the antagonists from the game, actually. They all they all show up in that first dungeon. And actually, isn't the very first uh, scene of the game uh, with General Ball? Isn't that, isn't yes, that true? Yes, it is. I can't remember. What happens yeah. in that sequence? It's all a bit cryptic, and I think it's kind of meant to be a bit a hook, honestly, because it's... Uh... Ball talking to Mullen, and I think Len comes in at the end, and it's, you know, is everything going according to plan? Okay, good, kind of thing. All right, well, let's keep investigating the ruins. Len needs to go with you, kind of scene. Okay. So you know that they're headed there, but you don't really know who they are or why yet. Yeah. And it was never clear to me, um, even like, and I think I figured this out while I was writing the review for it, that they're just sort of an independent army. I sort of thought that they were like the Empire at some point, maybe because I've just played too many RPGs. But it's just like a, it's just a, correct me if I'm wrong, but General Ball and his army are just sort of a group of people who are sort of the military for their own sake, like a private army. Yeah, that's really what it seems like. I haven't, we're halfway through the game and I don't remember them being associated with a certain place, which is odd yeah uh i i think i sort of found that i, I mean i didn't even occur to me that they were just a private army because i'm just like I, I the empire is evil i know that because i played <laughs> rpgs so you must you are evil therefore you must be the empire um but um yeah i i, I was uh, surprised by that but yeah so when we get to the salt ruins we meet um uh carl mullen and lean who are two uh so colonel mullen is the son of general ball in this army and he's sort of like this popular blonde guy who's really charming and everybody all of his everybody who sort of answers to him seems to be completely in love with even though i gotta tell you uh, the voice acting in this game is charming in its own way i suppose uh but the guy who voice voiced colonel mullen <laughs> i thought was really really over the top yep uh, of all of them, that was the one that like, I, I I can't handle this. I almost turned the Japanese voices on this time, but then I was like, no, it's Grandia. I feel like the bad voice acting is part of the experience. 
But with yep. Mullen, I still couldn't handle it. Um, but yeah, we meet Mullen, we meet Lean, and then we meet like uh, three, I think they're lieutenants or captains, Saki, Nana, and Mio. Are they lieutenants, captains? Are they also lieutenants? They're, yeah, they're they're officers. Yeah, they're officers of some sort. And um, I can't really distinguish between the three of them. Do they do they have distinct personalities? Yeah, they, they sort of have different approaches to leading their troops. And they're com- they, com- they compete with each other. Okay. Um, so uh, I'm going to get this wrong. I think Saki is the one who's more focused on like physical strength. That sounds right. Yes, if I'm yeah. picturing it correctly. She has the blue hair, and, right? And then Mia's the green hair, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. She's more focused on tactics and she oh, she's the one that does the all the annoying status effects later on. Oh yeah. <laughs> she's the one you always want to take out first. Um, yeah. It was one of the only hard battles in this game. That's that's part two, but um, fighting the three of them at once was really tough. I thought later, I I think I party wiped on it a couple of times. Yeah. Oh, so to back up a little bit, Justin breaks a priceless statue um, on his way to get a yeah. Figure out what happened. <laughs> it's like this this statue that the guy had been working on for what months, and he breaks yeah. it, and he's like, "Oh well, gotta run." <laughs> uh, oops. You can kind of choose based on how much you talk to the curator, like whether you admit that you broke it or mm-hmm. not, I think. Um, but anyway, you, that happens. You you go to the ruins um, with a pass from the curator. And the three of them, the three officers, they tear it up. They're like, hey, that doesn't mean anything here. Go away, kids. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that they, at least they make like a strong first impression. I feel like the, yeah. all, all the villains here, except for maybe Ball, um, who we see very little of in this first half. He um, seems like he doesn't care. <laughs> right. Uh, they're all pretty well defined, and I think that they're all likable in their own way, which I think sort of fits with the spirit of the game. I mean, Lean, yeah. who is sort of the second in command to Mullen, is, uh, you know, she has an interaction with Justin later where she sort of, she gives him back the spirit stone uh, when she tries to steal it from him and we're getting ahead of ourselves here. But I think that uh, the way the villains are presented here um, sort of fits the overall tone um, Mm -hmm. of it. And I'm glad that ball is sort of pushed off to the side for most of the game, because I I think that the interactions with the villains uh, were one of the real highlights of this game for me. Yeah. I, I think it's a good choice. Uh, but yeah, I, I, at the end of the Salt Ruins, we meet uh, Liat, right? Isn't that where we yeah. meet her? And then she tells mm-hmm. us about Angelou and then how we need to pursue it. And then um, on our way out, we start uh, getting chased by Colonel Mullins because he's upset that you managed to find your way into these ruins. And he's not sure why, why or right. how you managed to find your way into these ruins. Yeah, there's an inner sanctum area where you meet Liat. She like is able to transmit to you and talk to you and... Um, it works because of Justin's spirit stone and right Mullen and the Darling forces couldn't get in there. So he's like, mm-hmm. how do you do that? And tries to chase you and Justin and Sue coordinate and like trap him on a rotating platform. Oh, yeah. 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 That was an awesome sequence. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and they're like sort of stuck out there. And I, I always, always remember wondering, um, how do they ever get out of there? Right? That's the real question that like they're stuck on, like it's in this rotating room. Right. And they're stuck on like an individualized rock where there's like just yep. enough room for the two of them. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm like, man, that's uh, you're just going to leave him there. Um, but yeah, I-, I love that afterwards Mullen starts saying like, he's like really good humored about it. He's like, Oh, yes. that, that, that kid, I like him. He, he tra- yeah. he trapped me in a dungeon and left me to die, but I like that kid. Um, <laughs> I just think it's really funny. That scamp. <laughs> 
Um, but yeah, I mean, after that, that's when we uh, Justin gets back and he makes the decision that he's going to um, he needs to go to the new world because one of the things that Liette tells him is that he needs to fly off and go to the new world. Um, and, I, and one of the things that's great about this game is there's always like these new worlds to explore. You start out in one spot and then you cross an ocean and then you cross a wall and then you cross another ocean. And it's like always like this brand new experience. Um, and I think that that's one of the reasons this game works so well. Um, but yeah, you're always like setting off for this new thing. Um, and so yeah, he he sets off uh, on a on a on a trip, and this is where um, his mom knows that he's leaving, but um, doesn't really want to say anything to him. So she gives him this really beautiful, sweet letter, sort of encouraging him to follow his dreams. Um, I actually think it's one of one of my favorite moments in the whole game. Um, yeah, it's so good. Okay, so to back up a little bit, it, it's kind of interesting the way they have adventuring set mm-hmm. up in in the world of Grandia because there's one person on. Justin and Sue's continent, who was an adventurer and has like an old adventurer's past, which Justin needs to cross the ocean. Okay, and you find out later that he's like this legendary adventurer yep. who's done like all these mm-hmm. amazing things, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's exciting, but Justin has to get the pass. And then the letter that his mom writes is addressed to the president of the Adventurer Society, which is on this second continent that you go to. And it's, yeah, it's encouraging Justin and saying he has potential, but at the same time, she's also kind of saying, like, look out for him. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, I think it's a really sweet moment. Um, And then once you get on the boat, um, you're basically told that you have to work to stay your way there because Sue, (laughs) uh, Sue Sue is stowed away because Justin tries to leave her. Sue is stowed away. That's a very uh, important thing. Yeah. Um, Justin has his first, you know, adventurer's conflict knowing that like the the famous adventurer tells him got to make tough decisions and like adventuring basically is kind of a solo occupation and you have to protect other people. So he, he's conflicted and he makes the decision to leave Sue behind and set off without her. And he, he tells her this and she's pretty devastated and runs home and tells Justin she hates him. And, but then she stows away. Yeah, I mean, Justin's kind of a jerk about it. Um, I I think that, and again, I like that Justin, when he makes a mistake, and especially like trying to leave the woman behind and sort of that trope. um, And it's not just that she comes along, it's that she comes along and she's forceful about it. And she um, stands up for herself in a way. And she's not like, and I love that she's, I I think there's some indication that she might be, have a crush on Justin, maybe. But it's never played up, and and it's not. Uh, he, he certainly is not just like surrounded by all these women who are in love with him. He's surrounded by women who mm. are self assured um, and know what they want. Um, and I think Sue is a really great sort of first step. I mean, she's younger, but she's um, tough. And uh, you know, a lot of the and some of the most useful characters in this game in battle are women. And that's one of the, my favorite things about the the presentation of this game. Definitely agreed. Yeah, her feelings about Justin are kind of left up in the air. Yeah. She's meant to be a little bit younger, and at least looking at it this time, I definitely got more of the, like, strong friendship, Mm -hmm. possibly possibly even almost sibling-like. Yeah, and I think that even me thinking that she might have a thing for him plays into that sort of that RPG trope um, that, like, you know, if a woman is traveling with some dude that she's got to have a thing for him. Um, And it might be part of where that came from, but I don't think it plays into that at all. Um, The game doesn't. Um, and I think that's to its credit. Um, but yeah, when you're on the ship, uh, they, they catch Sue as a stowaway and they try to throw you overboard, if I remember correctly, right? Yeah, they do because <laughs> the, the, it, 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 something about the ocean spirits and, and how 
it, it'll curse the voyage and yeah. so is that bad and but if they're training sailors that's okay mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah. yeah so then they become training sailors and you have to do this mini game over and over again where you're cleaning <laughs> the deck uh which actually i thought was kind of fun actually <laughs> i actually enjoyed that mini game <laughs> it took me so long to get the hang of it the first time but this time this time i got it faster yeah um and then we meet fina right doesn't fina show yeah. up yeah she shows up on the on the boat and I, and i have to say i really love fina i love the way she plays in battle i love her character design i love the green hair i think it's really cool um, yeah. i like that she is uh, totally self-assured but also has like moments of vulnerability i, I mean she just it She's my favorite character in this game. I think she's phenomenal. Um, and I yeah. think that she ends up playing a great sort of foil and partner to Justin um, as she does, throughout the rest of the game. It's interesting because he's, you know, kind of this upstart, wants to be an adventurer, but mm-hmm. I guess kind of is in the area where, in an area of the world where he doesn't really have access and is just starting out and all this. Mm-hmm. Fina, on the other hand, before you even meet her, the first thing you find out about her is, oh, New Parm's number one adventurer is going right. to be onboarding tomorrow and it turns out it's Fina. Right. Yeah, and they, they do a great job of setting her up um, and just like who she is and, um, you know, sort of making her like sort of like a an almost like like a figure that is someone to look up to from the beginning. Yep. And they yep. do a really nice job, I think, of developing the relationship between Justin and Fina sort of slowly. Like Justin clearly admires her. Fina admires Justin's sort of like desire for adventure um and she sort of sees that as being something that she's lacking and um i think that the 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 thing that makes this whole game work is the character interactions and i think that in particular the interactions between fina and justin are just really really well done fina justin and and sue Mm -hmm. i would say they're they're a fun group Mm -hmm. yeah they're a great group and they're fun to travel around with too um i wish sue was a little bit better in battle but um i actually Allow me to backtrack for a second. So one of the cool mechanics about the game that we haven't quite explained is as they're traveling through all these things, occasionally you'll either go to an inn or someone's house or some in a dungeon. Sometimes someone will say, this is a good spot to rest. And you'll get these little like camping scenes yeah. or dinner scenes where you get a lot of that character interaction. And it's great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that um, the localization here is phenomenal too. I mean, I yeah. think it's 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 really really clean, um, but also it 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 doesn't fall into any sort of tropes as well. And and those dinner scenes are a treat because of it. Like they could be really tired. Like I, I just want to click through. I'm, I don't want to. I'm tired of reading all this dialogue. I find myself doing that a lot as an older person. Um, just like get me to the get me to the action. But here, right. um, it, it's so really well developed that I. I found myself enjoying those moments where they sat down. They didn't feel repetitive to me either. One good example of this is getting ahead of myself a little bit. So maybe I'll save it until a little later on in the plot. But there's a big event that happens that probably affects Fina pretty well. But you actually don't see her talking about it Mm -hmm. very much unless you ask her about it in that dinner scene a little Mm -hmm. bit. You kind of see her getting like distracted by it. And that's when... Sue and Justin kind of try to reassure her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, so, and I think that's yeah. realistic to who they are too. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that, uh, and there are a lot of those you could miss too because you can a lot of times at the end you you're given the option to do it. And even like, I was in a rush to play this game, and I would even find myself saying like, "Yeah, 
I do want to eat that dinner. I do want to see that dialogue. I do want to talk to those NPCs as well, because the NPCs here are all great, too. Yeah. Um, I mean, they they say different things based on different events. It feels a little like like Trails in the Sky, Trails of Cold Steel to me in terms of the way that NPCs will change in terms of what they say to you. And it's all unique and it's funny and they're all real people. Especially for the time. Yeah. I mean, it, it changes based on how many times you've talked to them. Sometimes it changes depending on whether you've done certain events or not. You know, I thought it was great. Um, but, um, you know, while we're on that boat trip, that's when uh, we're, I can't remember, are we hit by like a ghost ship? Is this the yes. the idea that, yeah, so we're hit by a ghost ship um, and then we have to go onto that ghost ship to then go free uh, the people on the ship. And that's when we fight at the end of that dungeon. And I thought the dungeon itself wasn't too bad, but then the boss, yeah. <laughs> that's like it turns the, out the, maybe the hardest ship. boss in the whole game. It turns out the ghost ship is being driven by a giant squid monster. Yeah. Did you have as much trouble with that boss as I did? I surprisingly didn't. And I'm not sure if that's just because I really emphasized everybody's speed and movement and just mm-hmm. got in there quickly and kept just doing kept my actions. hitting him over and over again, yeah. I don't yeah. think that I had really gotten the hang of the system yet, maybe, to the fullest extent. Um, and I was just kind of, like, focusing on trying to do as much damage as possible and not stopping the actions because mm-hmm. yep. there are so many different is doesn't the I think the squid has like four different parts and I, I felt like I was just getting hit really hard by all of them constantly yeah he's got he's one of those bosses that has the tentacles and the body and yeah and I don't think I was using Fina's spells effectively yet either so I, I don't know I, I remember struggling with that boss quite a bit um, but yeah, but after, after that, uh, we're sort of recognized as full ship members and we don't have to do work on the ship anymore because we've saved the ship. Um, and then we arrive in New Parm, right? Yes. Where we and, try to join the adventure society. And that goes badly. The president that Justin's mom knew is no longer the president. It's his son who's in charge and has basically changed the adventure society and made it into a really kind of a bureau of tourism there are Mm -hmm. different tours you can go on um there's an nbc who complains about the like indigenous giant snake tour yeah (laughs) i forgot about that (laughs) probably not a good good one Um, (laughs) yeah he's just sort of capitalized things and changed them and um i think if you are a card-carrying member of the adventurous society you can't go to the ruins or like actually discover things about this mysterious ancient civilization. Yeah. It's really interesting. And he's pretty obsessed with Fina. Yes. Weirdly obsessed with Fina. Yeah. Um, and he kidnaps her and tries to marry her, right? Yep. Justin and Sue bust in and stop that. Um, and you get your first like kind of cheesy, kind of fun scene with a uh, Justin and Fina because they bust out of the church. Um, because they sneak in, so they come out of the front of the church, and the townspeople are like, "Yay! Here's the happy couple." Oh, wait, yay! We we like to celebrate things, so I guess we're still celebrating. But you're not the president guy. No, it's hard for me to imagine such a creep becoming the president of an adventurer society. Like I feel like he must come from money or something. He's got to have bought a, bought his way into that position because he is the worst. Yeah, he's like the one like maybe the one besides Ball, like the only like truly evil character in this whole game. Um, yeah, and he's just so difficult to sort of buy as a person who's running an adventure society wow. who just like wants uh, to sort of like control people. But um, I, I like that it leads to the scene with uh, Justin and Fina in the church. <laughs> yep, 
it's interesting the, the way they set that up because there are some NPCs and definitely the guy's secretary who are like, yay, he's like done good things for the adventuring society. Like, really? Has he? And he has, in a, in a moment of interesting and cool localization, like he has a specific way of talking. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and like you see one of the NPCs emulate it. Yeah. And you're like, why? 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 This is not something to aspire to. <laughs> Yeah, it's another really great moment of the localization here. Um, it's funny, I don't know who did the localization for this game, but um, it, it's really a stellar one for PS1. Yep. And I think that Working Designs had talked about doing it, but it's funny because like I wouldn't have wanted Working Designs to do it. They would have filled it with too many pop culture references that don't work today. <laughs> this game works much better today because Working Designs didn't localize it, I think. I think I agree. So after yeah. New Parm, you actually end up going um, back to Fina's house, right? And yes. you spend a little bit of time there with her um, and you guys start discussing sort of what the adventure is going to look like and sort of where you need to go next, if I remember correctly, yes. right? Yep, which is another set of ruins. So you can get more information on how to eventually get to Elend. Yeah. Um, and so then you go into the Dom Ruins, which I have to say, I, I know I complained about Parm and the and the Salt Ruins as well, but the Dom Ruins might be my least favorite dungeon in this whole game. Because yep, there's this definitely. weird mechanic where you're going up and down all these different, um, uh, like, lifts and things like that. And, like, you're also, like, walking out and, like, trying to create bridges. And I got myself yeah. turned around in there a lot. And there's also the ability to yep. fall down cliffs, which is, I think, is put there to make it faster to get back out. But what ended up happening yes. was I went the wrong way. And then like, I put myself back at the beginning of this dungeon, like three times. Yep. <laughs> and, and that is part of it at one point. Cause you drop back down to get to a save point. Cause you need to go back near the beginning to continue. Yeah. Yeah. Backtrack a little bit, but Oh man. I mean, just the combination of the cliff face and those lifts, it's so easy to get turned around and not go the right direction. Yeah. Um, but, you know, when we get to the end, we see Liette again, um, and she tells us that we need to cross the end of the world. And I, we haven't talked too much about what the end of the world is at this point, but um, everybody sort of on this side of the end of the world uh, that we're in right now sort of thinks that the world ends at this giant wall that no one has ever scaled before um, on sort of like the edge of their world. Um, and so the impression is that it's impossible to get over that wall. And even Fina, who's like this great adventurer, is like, oh, yeah, that's the end of the world. And that's just sort of the end of the conversation. But Liette says, hey, there is more on the other side of this wall. Um, and if you want to get to Angelo, you need to uh, or get to Lent and, and learn about the Angelo civilization, you need to cross this wall. Um, and of course, Justin being who he is, it's like, yeah, let's do that. I know it's like right. never been done, but we got this. Yeah. And that was actually kind of something he was, he, even back in Parm, he talked a little bit about the end of the world and was interested and in, he didn't think, he never thought it was the actual end of the world. He always kind of thought there was something on the other side of it. And actually interesting little cool thing about the ghost ship is there was a round globe there. I forgot to mention that. And Fina mentions it. I was like, oh, it must be one of those antiquated globes when they thought the world was round and there wasn't an end of the world. <laughs> I didn't even catch that. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, so Justin's always been kind of a believer. So he wants to go to the end of the world and see what's on the other side. Yeah. I, I mean, I, and I love the way he addresses it. Um, and I love just, again, his optimism there. Um, and again, that, that spirit of adventure that he has is like infectious, even for me as like a cynical 34-year-old RPG <laughs> yep. game player. Um, and, I, and I was like excited to get there. Um, and I think that they, they did a great job with that there. Um, but yeah, in order to get to the end of the world, you have to go through 
um, an area called um, the Herb Mountains and the Misty Forest as well, which presents its own set of problems because it's surrounded by a forest that um, has a bunch of fog in it. People say that adventurers don't even come back from, never mind the end of the world, they don't come back from the forest around it. Right. Um, and so you end up going to these mountains and um, there's a character, and I can't remember the character's name. Ren? Are you thinking of Ren? Yeah, Ren, uh, who is being chased by uh, the Gar- Garlisle forces again. Um, and you try to save him and he gets captured. And so you take a little detour to go save him. Yeah, they hurt him. You take him back to Fina's house. Um, that's why you go to the herb mountains to treat his wounds and then they end up roughing up everyone and taking them prisoner because they want that it seems like the military wants this humanoid they call him he has a tail and he speaks a different language which Mm -hmm. which they handle pretty pretty well it's kind of cool they have him speak in like little symbols until something happens where you can understand each other yeah yeah, that's that's a cool mechanic yeah i like that a lot but uh, you're you're captured in the process, yep. As well, and you're taken back to the uh, Garlisle base, um, which um, you know you're sort of uh, you're, you're put in these your, these prison cells, and you're being questioned about the Spirit Stone and why are you trying to help these this humanoid out? And, and the Garlisle forces seem to think that you have um, sort of the same goals that they do, not really understanding that um, that's not really what you're going for. You just want to go do something fun. Mm-hmm. Um, and something sort of strange happens. Uh, Lean, who is, again, the second in command to Mullen, uh, helps you out. She helps you get out of there. And that's your first sort of hint that something um, is a little bit strange, maybe, about Lean. Yep. She leaves you the key. Mm-hmm. Um, so she leaves you the key, and then you go through that base. Um, and I actually thought that the random encounters in the space were pretty tough. Uh, the soldiers, I thought, were a little bit tough to take down. Um, because the random encounters here are like actually like Garlalian. Is it Garlalian? I don't know. Um, (laughs) The soldiers, we'll just say that, um, are are sort of tough to take down, I thought. Um, But yeah, eventually you get to the end and you save, uh, gosh, I'm still not remembering his name. Rem, you save Rem. Um, And then yeah, you get that mechanic that allows you to speak to him because he hands you the nut, right? Doesn't he hand you the the nut that allows you to understand what he's saying at that point? Yeah, there's a communication nut. Yep, after after you save him. And then you bust out, and of course the three um, officers, Nanasaki and Mio, are there. You have to take them down individually to escape, mm-hmm. and then you make your way to the train. Yeah, I, I love the way that the, the uh, they sort of are running along this train as they're trying to escape, and as they get to the end, they're cornered, and uh, Justin just breaks the breaks the brake off. I'm like, I wonder if it's actually that easy to break off a, a brake line in a train. I feel like that's kind of dangerous. It feels like there's an emergency brake system. <laughs> yeah. No, he, he's trying to break the train at one point, breaks it, but then kind of uses that to his advantage, lures the the three up in the air and, like, locks them in there without a brake. So, <laughs> Justin, Dina, and Sue don't. Yeah, um, and so then Rem, because uh, you tell Rem what it is you want to do once you manage to escape, and Rem takes you back to his, uh, yeah, yeah. his, his Luke, Luke village, and you have to travel through the Misty Forest, uh, that, that forest that's surrounding the end of the world. Um, and uh, when you're there, uh, the Garlalian forces invade again, and they steal uh, the statue that they have. Yeah, you learn that they are looking for pieces of something, yeah. and they think one of them is the Luke villager's God of Light statue. Mm-hmm. Um, Justin tries to save it, winning the respect of all the villagers there, even though he saves about half of it because Lean's trying to physically take it away with a crane. 
mm-hmm. and Justin pops on. Uh, that was a really cool moment for me. The, this village elder, you know, usually you're expecting like our god of light is destroyed. Like, what are we gonna do? But this villager's like, eh, there's half of it still. You, <laughs> you fought for us, and we're happy with what we have. Yeah. So thank you, and everyone's so grateful. I wish every village elder was that chill. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and that's also where you find out a really important piece of information about Fina, right? Yes, that is the point because you see, it's the first time with the three of them seeing Lean, uh, Fina recognizes her as her sister. And she seems shocked by, uh, you know, how is it that you came to go work for the Garlisle forces? And she just, and Lean just says, it's something I had to do. And, And I feel like the sort of the relationship between Fina and Lean, and, and I've played you know the whole game at this point, is never really fully explored. Like, what were they like as ch- children? How are they separated in the way that they were? Why did they not know what the other yeah. person was doing? I think that's really strange. Um, and there are some things that we'll, we'll get into um, in part two that may explain it. Um, but even then, like, it, neither of them were aware of those things at the time. And so right. I, I'm not sure sort of how it is that they came to be so separate because it seems like they're pretty close in their own way um, when they talk to each other and they really care about each other and they have like a yeah. pretty good relationship for people who don't talk very often. But like, I'm like, why? Right. And I remember it being kind of up in the air, like even after playing more a long, long, long time ago, I had questions. Um, so then after that, um, you know, you, the, the village elder, because he's so chill, even though you, like literally the statue that he worships is broken in two, um, he gives you a nut that allows you to clear the mists in the forest, um, so that you can approach the end of the world. And man, I love, I love that moment when you first approach the end of the world and like that yeah. little FMV sequence where you're just looking up at it, um, and in the port, there's this weird thing where they'll like blur out the sides of it because they keep it in widescreen. But even then, even with like this weird FMV thing, like it's just such an epic moment. And the music that always plays over those FMVs, and I love the music in this. We haven't talked about the music, but I think Idaware does an amazing job capturing the spirit of adventure here. Um, man, that 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 is such an effective moment. I'm just looking at that wall. Yeah, definitely. Um, but then you have to actually scale that wall, <laughs> and they and that dungeon is really long. Um, and I like that they made it so long because it really like I got tired. Like they, you have to camp out like what three yeah. or four times on your way up that wall. Um, and I thought it, it was it did a great job of showing us like just how much of a difficult task this would be now granted these are like three children if these three children can do it i don't know how no one else has but um still um it it still captures that scale really well i thought it does it's a good kind of marker and a good obstacle Mm -hmm. i would say and it's like i was counting screens it was significantly bigger more areas than a lot of previous places um, but uh, the other cool thing about it is it is vertical. And I, I kind of thought, yeah, there's still some bad stuff about the dungeon design. But I thought that this particular dungeon was one of the points in the game where the perspective and some of the kind of wonky things about the way the dungeons look actually worked more in 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 the game's favor, or at least it was less annoying. Oh, yeah. 
It was much better. And there, there are a couple of uh, like weird puzzle sequences in that dungeon where like you have to press buttons at yep. certain points. And those confused me a little bit, but I still felt like they were playing fair. And a lot of dungeons in this game, I don't really feel like play fair. Um, and we haven't really talked about it, but the um, the dungeons a lot of times will actually have like field effects uh, where like there will be things that can damage you. And yes. so uh, there are like flowers that might attack you or other things like that. Um, but here I remember there being like this like sequence of uh, metal cranes. Am I remembering this correctly? That like attack you, like come down and like smack you over and over again. Yeah, um, you can get attacked by metal cranes. Yeah. Um, and it's like right before the boss too, I think. And I don't think yeah. I think I hit forgot to hit recover before I hit the boss. And I was like, oh, I should oh, have no. hit recover. <laughs> but I did remember to yeah. save at least. Um, but yeah, yeah. metal cranes. There are stair- there's fall damage because some of the staircases and blocks disappear. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are of course the blocks that will come out and push you and hit you. There are a lot of different ones in mm-hmm. this dungeon. Yeah, I thought that given given the fact that it's so long and it's so not varied in terms of the way it looks. I was just so relieved, first of all, that it was that straightforward. Um, and I just loved, like, I, it felt big. Um, but I also loved that the field effects were used and played fair there. And, and I felt like it, I actually think it might be the most effective dungeon in the whole game, which is saying something given that you're literally just running up a wall. Yeah. I think they did really well with it. Uh, but my favorite part of the end of the world is once you reach the top, there are these, like, uh, flying helicopter things. Is, are yeah. they like flying helicopter things that come and grab you and then they yes. just drop you off the side of the wall? I'm like, how do you survive that fall? Like, you fall into trees, I think. Sue gets separated from Fina and Justin because she gets grabbed first. And it's it's tense. Yeah. You're looking at her through the first section of the Dragon Valley. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, and then when you land, uh, you're in the lost world. You're in the other side. Uh, and it turns out all the people on this side of the world also think that that's the end of the world and nothing is on the other side, too, which I think is also really cool. Yeah. Um, I, I like a comment that Fina made because that's how this, she describes how I felt about this area a lot. She's like, oh, it's their version of the Misty misty forest yeah. is really dangerous and annoying like, you know yep. what you're right <laughs> really difficult to navigate lots of dead ends with like these little like pittances of like 10 coins at the ends of the dead ends it was not worth it um nope. but in the valley of the flying dragon we meet one of the most powerful characters in battle in the whole game yep. um gadwin um, who I remember the first time I played this game, he was definitely my favorite. I always have like a thing for like sword wielders um, and like melee attackers. Um, and he sort of uh, challenges you to a duel. Um, he's just this like, adventurer dude who's just like kind of sitting there and hanging out. Um, and um, you get into a duel with him because I don't you think that he kidnapped someone? Because you can't find yeah. Sue when you fall <laughs> off, right? Yeah. Cute. That was a funny scene and it, it's worth mentioning. Um, so you find Sue's shoes as you're making your way through the, the valley. And then you find Puffy, who's really agitated. Mm-hmm. And we went this whole time without mentioning Puffy. Oh my gosh. Puffy. Puffy's great. <laughs> yes. Puffy is Sue's pet, who... I think they don't really explicitly say this very clearly, but I think Puffy... Justin's dad actually found Puffy. Oh, I don't and, remember that. Did they mention yeah, that at some point? Oh, that's cool. Yeah, I, I think I read it somewhere, actually. And so Puffy grew up with Sue and is basically Sue's pet and is just a really cute little winged puffball who can attack and do all sorts of things and contributes to and conversations with NPCs, too. Mostly just saying things like, puff, puff, puff. <laughs> but it's, it's really cute. Um, and 
normally uh, Puffy sits on Sue's head like a bow. It kind of looks like a bow. So Sue and Puffy are separated. Puffy's very agitated. And then you go into this little camp of someone's and you see this boiling pot of stew. And Fina faints. Justin freaks out. <laughs> because they think Sue is the stew. Which, of course, she's not. And you find out that it is Gadwin and this doctor lady, Alma, from the next village that you go to, who found Sue and helped her out. But Gadwin sees you as an adventurer and, yeah, challenges you at that point. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, when you get challenged by him, uh, you, I think you you're, you lose that battle, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You lose that battle. I'm damaged to you. Yeah. And he pulls out that dragon cut uh, skill <laughs> yeah. uh, and just like wipes the floor with you. Uh, but I really like Gadwin. Uh, I think he's a great character. Um, he sort of functions um, for this next little bit of the narrative as uh, a mentor to Justin. And he is strong and he's tough, um, but he also is really caring about his village and he cares a lot about Justin. Um, and man, he wrecks things in battle. Um, I mean, using that dragon cut thing, um, which eventually Justin learns later as as a skill. Um, And that's the skill you can abuse that will really, really raise his stats up quickly. Um, He it it just serves, I I think, as a great guide into this sort of beginning of the new space. Like every time you enter a new world in this first half, you have this new guide. So you travel the ocean. Here's Fina. You cross the wall. Here's Gadwin. And I think that's a really smart uh on, on the developer's part, because it allows them to give you a little bit of info dump without it feeling like it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, I agree. Um, but yeah, I, I love Gadwin. I, I'm sad that you don't get to keep him for longer. Um, but luckily, <laughs> yeah, that's after this part. Higher, higher level than you, so he makes the last part of that valley much nicer. Yeah, because the first part of that valley, you're only rolling with two people. Um, and then um, you have four after that, and it's much easier. <laughs> and it actually yeah. ends up being like a solid spot to like grind up some skills, too. Um, but then yeah. after that, he takes you back to his village, um, Dite Village is what it's called, yes. um, and it he runs off and he starts talking to the elder and he seems upset about something, um, and then he says, okay, everything will be fine as long as it doesn't start raining. And then it starts raining. It rains. <laughs> uh, and it turns out that they're afraid that there is like this, uh, the spirits are cursing them. And I don't remember, is there a reason why he thinks spirits are cursing them? Um, you don't find out much about it at first. You just find out that you have to get to the tower at the top of these mountains before the rain reaches a certain point because the rain's eventually going to become poisonous and really hurt everyone. And you are not, at first, exactly sure why. So okay. you head immediately. You don't waste any time. Yeah, yeah so you head off for uh, the Typhoon Tower. Um, and yep. I don't really have like any strong memories of this dungeon. I'm guessing it must not have been too bad. Was this dungeon too bad? No, it, it really wasn't. I kind of, and I, it was kind of colorful. I enjoyed it. Oh, okay. There were a lot of staircases, like a lot of kind of gaps on the floors where you had to go up different staircases at different points, but it wasn't too bad. Oh, is this the one that had the basement and it, and it had like multiple like, um, colored stairs that you had to go through and you had yeah. to move platforms. Okay, I got lost here too, but of course I did. I got lost in every dungeon in this game. Um, but uh, at the top of this tower, you um, have to make a choice, right? Um, about a yeah. mirror to go through. And if you go through one mirror, I believe you die. Um, and then the other mirror, you will save, you'll save Dyke Village. 
And I love this moment. Um, I, I think that because uh, Fina ends up being the one who tries to make the decision for who needs to go through it. And then Gadwin's yes. like, no, I'll do it. And Justin's like, no, I'll do it. And then Fina steps up and she's strong and she makes a decision about what it is they need to do. Um, ultimately, Justin's the one who has to go through it. But I love that moment. It's the Room of Destiny, by the way, is what it's called. It's called the Room of Destiny. I knew it had okay. a name. <laughs> That is a dope name. I like that. <laughs> um, that's sweet. Um, I like that a lot. And I love that whole moment. And, um, you know, eventually Justin goes in to to the mirror. Um, and I can't remember exactly what happens within the mirror there. So there are the two mirrors. And it's kind of clear why you needed a group to stop the rain and get this Spear of Heroes, actually. Okay. The Spear of Heroes. Yeah. No, I remember because there are two mirrors and, and the spear is behind one and the other is death. So if someone chooses wrong, you need someone else. And Gadwin tries to volunteer, mm-hmm. but he's too big to come one of the mirrors. <laughs> ah, yes. Yeah, and then Justin tries to do it and then he's like so upset about which one he chooses. And then Fina says, no, I'll, I'll pick for you. Um, yeah, and, and I, I, I like the way that it develops their dynamic. Um, mm-hmm. And how who each character is, but then you escape, uh, it, it, and the place starts crumbling while Justin is in the mirror. So Gadwin yep. and Fina have to escape. Fina doesn't want to leave; she won't leave. Gadwin says, "No, Justin will want you to leave," which again starts to develop that romance. Because at this point, there has not been any real romance mentioned about Fina and Justin, but you're starting yep. to get it a little bit. Those those feelings, um, and I think that's a nice moment to show how much she cares. And then they escape, and then Justin um, sort of fi- is found at the bottom of the mountain, if I remember correctly. I think so, yeah. Yeah. Um, and so then at that point, you've, you've sort of saved the day. Yeah, I think it's explained with this, like, because he has the spirit stone. Mm-hmm. That's kind of how he gets and that And that's the way that he is sort of transported out of, that, out of that mirror, yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right, so what, once you get back to Dite Village, you um, discover that there are, yet again, in this part of the world, another set of ruins that you need to go explore um, to go find out more about the Angelou civilization and who they are. Gadwin says he's going to go with you. Uh, and so at that point you guys set off yeah. and um, yeah. And I think that's, uh, that's going to be about where we uh, stop for today um, in terms of where we are with the story. Uh, we'll pick up there uh, sort of at the twin towers next time and then move uh, through the rest of the game. Um, so I was curious, Solar, what are your, what are sort of your thoughts on the first half of the game so far? Enjoying it, liking it more or less, as much as you remember. I think I'm pleasantly surprised by the combat, and I'm going to enjoy mm-hmm. the rest of the game playing with that system. Um, so that was better than I remembered. Somehow, I think I have more of an appreciation for it, having mm-hmm. played other games, different I, games. I think as I've gotten older, I care way more about combat than I used to. I think that used to, <laughs> to me, like it used to just be a means to an end. Like I want a good story and yeah. good characters, and the combat is whatever. Uh, but nowadays, I find myself caring way more about the combat than almost anything else actually so yeah I, that for me i agree yeah um i <laughs> i was so entertained by sue i yeah. i really have to admit it her skills i don't know and some of the things she says when she can well no because you said you didn't i didn't give her any man eggs, eggs which i think by the time i got toward the end of this half because i remembered and again, we have, we're not there yet, but there, there's a there's an event in, in part two that made me not want to give her a mana egg. Um, and by the time I was getting to this point, I'm like, oh my gosh, I've had Sue for like 20 hours. Like, how do I, why didn't I give her any magic? Because she doesn't hit that hard. Right, exactly. So I gave her one, I gave her earth, and <laughs> there's just something about her 
when you finally get an offensive earth spell, as she's casting it, she yells, Earthquakes are scary! <laughs> oh man, I'm sad I missed that now. Because I gave her a mana egg, I was going to give her water skills, but now that I play this game again, I am definitely giving her earth skills. Yeah, I wanted to buff, I think at the point where I was when I gave it to her, I wanted to be able to buff defense, which is the first thing you can do with uh-huh. earth. So, yeah, no, it, I don't know. And and her special skills, I mean, one of them, I've got to mention them. One of them, the first one you get is the puffy kick, where she just pearls puffy at an enemy, and he just attacks. And it's, it's I don't get tired of watching it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then there's also the first heal you have for a ridiculous oh, amount so the, of time. the cheerleader one, right? I love yeah. that one. It's so fun. <laughs> It's called Rara, and it's Sue and Puffy getting out some some pom-poms and going, okay, here we go, Puffy. Puff, puff. Like, here we go. Let's go. Woo. And it's just so silly and so cute. I don't think we've talked a lot about the voice acting. I know we talked about Mullen's voice acting, but were there any voice actors that really <laughs> stood out to you as being particularly good? <laughs> I would say that for most of them, especially the heroes, like, I appreciate their tone and their enthusiasm Mm -hmm. because they definitely nail that. Mm -hmm. Like I, they're, they're all believable, but it is. It is very nineties anime. Over the top. Yeah. So (laughs) nineties anime. I mean, uh, (laughs) and the sound quality is a little bit low on them too, which is always like, you can hear like a little bit of a buzz in the background as the recording, Um, even in the port, you could hear it, but it's funny because in the port, you can switch over to Japanese um, and the voice actors are much better and the voice quality is much cleaner, Um, but I just couldn't do it. Um, And there's something sort of vaguely charming about the voice acting. I don't even mind how bad it is. Like, I feel like I'm watching like a cartoon because of it. Uh, It makes me feel like I'm sort of sitting there on this 12 year old, just watching like some really cheesy anime in the nineties that I like, I love. Um, And for me, that really makes it work. Uh, and, yeah. and that's just like nostalgia speaking from like a pure quality perspective. I think the voice acting is just bad, um, but um, I love it anyway and I don't care. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much how I felt. And I mean, especially with the PS1 version, I, I did notice like it was a little bit kind of grainy, a little bit. Yeah. Difficult to hear. It's it's just as grainy in the port, um, which I mean, kind of goes along with the port not really doing a whole lot to upgrade yeah. much of anything. Um, but yeah, it was it didn't sound great there either. Okay, well, if we're actually saying nice things about the voice acting in Grandia, I think it's probably about time for us to wrap up. Um, <laughs> so uh, uh, so uh, next week, uh, we have a sports-related RPG episode. Uh, it's It involves Final Fantasy, and that is all that Solosi will allow me to tell you. Um, and next month, we're going to have two episodes about Vagrant Story, uh, which is a game I've never played before, so I'm really curious to listen to that. Uh, but I've heard it's really hard, so I don't think I'm going to be able to hop on those episodes. Um, so um, if you'd like to email us you can email us at retro at rpgfan.com you can also comment on the message boards if you still want to I guess Uh, maybe don't do that Um, you can visit our Facebook page Instagram Twitter Discord Uh, we have a Twitch stream almost every day Um, you can also listen to our two other awesome podcasts Random Encounter which mostly covers current events and Rhythm Encounter which is significantly less current uh, because we haven't had one of those in a while and it is all about music Um, also we love getting feedback so if you would like to review us on itunes google play any podcast listening venue uh, we really love feedback Um, you can also follow rpg fan on twitter social media um, and and all those different spots Um, so hillary if listeners would like to get a hold of you how should they do so 
the, the two best ways to get a hold of me um, on Discord, I'm EP Fire. And you can also use my RPG Fan email, which is hillary at rpgfan.com. And if you'd like to get a hold of me, you can email me at zachw at rpgfan.com. And you can also find me on Discord at zachw. All right. Well, thanks uh, for talking with me about Grandia, Hillary. I know it's a, it's a longer game than people remember, and I appreciate you uh, playing this with me. I'm, ha- I'm having a lot of fun with it. Yeah. Um, thank you for having me. It's been a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to more of the adventure. And yeah, apologies if I was fuzzy at any point. I played because just for reference, I've been moving and doing a lot of stuff recently. So I kind of had to play and start. So my memory was not as good as I would like. Yeah, same here. I played it a couple of months ago and pretty quickly too. So, but I think we got it. Um, yeah. But anyway, listeners, thank you. Good night and good luck.